Welcome to episode 51 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The countdown continues. My book will be available in just a few weeks on July 30th. Want to get a free copy of Croissants versus Bagels? Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences? Join my launch team for the book and you'll get an advanced copy to review and we notified when it will be available free on Kindle. I am so excited to share this with my listeners. Visit RobbieSamuels.com slash launch team to sign up. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. If you enjoy business podcasts, you should also check out C-Suite TV at c-suitetv.com. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest has found a way to marry her knowledge of the law with her experience working with influencers to create hashtag legal, a law firm dedicated to helping businesses succeed in a digital world. As technology created new opportunities for business owners, the legal industry did not keep up with the times. Hashtag legal fills that void. Their clients are influencer networks, CEOs of digital empires, online entrepreneurs, creatives, and small business owners. Previously, she was Director of Operations and Chief Counsel at Type A Parent, the world's premier conference, influencer network, and community for mom bloggers, dad bloggers, and the marketers who want to connect with them. She's been practicing lawyer for over 10 years and has worked for a large international law firm in New York City on complex commercial matters and for a federal district judge on both civil and criminal federal cases. She's also an adjunct professor at Seton Hall Law School. Please join me in welcoming Jamie Lieberman. Thanks for having me. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Hoboken, New Jersey. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So for me, uh, I believe leadership is about surrounding yourself with people who do things better than you do things. I have certain strengths, but I also have certain things I'm not as good at. And so for me to be able to surround myself with people who can accomplish those things and I can bring the best in them out, I think is what leadership means to me. I realized that I enjoyed leadership and that I was not so bad at it. When I was actually working for the judge, I was responsible for a pretty intensive um, intern program. And I had all these law students that we would carefully vet through and they would all report to me. And it was my job essentially to teach them how to be lawyers in a professional environment, how to write. And I had a number of them that I had to be responsible for, plus all of my other duties. And so it was there that I really learned and started to understand what it meant to be a leader. So is there a time even way back when, like um, in high school or college where people saw leadership potential in you or where you just like stepped up into an opportunity that you saw yourself? I sort of shied away from being a leader when I was younger, even though I 
felt like maybe it might be something I was interested in doing until I was a senior in high school when I was forcibly pushed into being the stage manager of a play. Um, and while I found myself enjoying leadership, I don't think I understood what it really meant at 17. And so I think I was good at rounding everybody up and keeping everybody quiet in the back, but I don't think I had a full understanding at that age of what it really meant to be a lawyer. It's just not bossing people around. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you just said lawyer, but I think a lawyer and leader for you must be synonymous. Oh, yes. Like <laughs> leader, a <not> lawyer. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you sort of went from being the stage manager to kind of deciding to go into law. That's so considering like you you liked being behind the scenes, it seems, but still having some control over the outcome. So that's that's a stage manager role right there. So tell me how that kind of leads into this career that you currently have. It was way longer after. I never thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, even coming out of college, I came out of college in the late 90s and I was bouncing from dot com to dot com because that's what you did in the late 90s. And I actually worked in human resources, um, which I liked, but wasn't something so exciting for me until I finally started working for a publishing company that, um, as their HR manager. And at about a week in the CEO of the company came and said, I don't think HR is so much of a fit for you. At which point I thought, okay, how much money do I have in my savings account? Because I may have to move back in with my parents. But in fact, what he was saying is I think there's a better role here for you. And that role actually turned out to be a leadership role. I ended up managing about 75 people. I was about 24 years old. And most of them were much older than me. Um, and I ran operations of this publishing company. Um, and what happened was the economy was doing very, very well at the time. And then 2001 happened and the economy kind of tanked and the company started to go under. And I started negotiating all these settlements with vendors, having no experience doing any of that. And I was working with outside counsel and I had decided because I was 25, I was like, let's go back to school. <laughs> the economy's not doing well. And he suggested maybe you should think about law school. And so that's sort of how I ended up going to law school uh, was because of this experience I had at this publishing company. It was never something, frankly, I had ever even thought about, but turned out to be some of the best advice I've ever gotten. It's really fascinating to me when, in retrospect, you can look at sort of the broken road of a career and there's some thread that goes through it, but it's like only in retrospect can you sort of see it. But, it, but I do see that you were open to opportunities, but you also got pushed into some of them. So, <laughs> so there's a way in which you were like, I could do that. And someone else was like, yes, yes, you can. And only after getting convinced a few times did you venture. But then once you're in these new roles, do you just like gravitate to it and really like own it? Or are you still hesitant as you start to take on this new responsibilities? Um, I own it. I'm in it. Um, but I will say that law school was really the pivotal turning point for me uh, in terms of knowing what it is that I wanted to do, knowing who I was. And at that point, no one was pushing me into anything. Every career choice I've made since I went to law school has been, I think, well thought out with a better understanding of who I am and what my strengths are. But Yes, you are right. For a very long time, I was sort of pushed into things where I'm like, ah, can I do that? And then once I hit law school, I, I, I think I got that confidence and knew that I could. It's so powerful when you finally come into your own in that way. And I have to say, coming to your own in your mid-20s is not so late. <laughs> a lot of people are struggling a lot longer than that to find their way and figure out their, their path. You know, you talk to people who you know, are, are heading into their 40s and they're still not quite sure what they're doing yet with their life. So 
uh, as you're walking your way through that, uh, now you're in a new like role and you're, you're still practicing law, but you're doing it in a very particular niche. And I think it's really fascinating because everyone says in the world of entrepreneurs, the niches are where the riches are, right? So like, so, or the riches are in the niches, I think is the phrase. How did you come across this need in, with, with creating hashtag legal? I worked a traditional law route as a lawyer. I worked at a very large law firm in New York City. Uh, I practiced com- complex commercial litigation. I then went and worked for the government. I worked for a judge. And the whole time, I knew I loved the law, but I sort of didn't know what my place in the law was because those were fits for me, but they didn't excite me the way I knew a job could and I knew the law could for me. And so after I had my first son, uh, I decided I was going to take a step back and really figure out what it is that I wanted to do. So I started taking freelance positions as a lawyer, just doing ghostwriting sort of to make ends meet, but really while thinking about what it is I wanted to do. And I started blogging. I had had blogs for years, but they were personal blogs, nothing that I was no one really monetized blogs when I started uh, blogging many, many years ago. Um, and this time I started thinking about it from a business perspective. And in doing so, I came across Type A Parent, which you talked about. Uh, Type A Parent is a company that runs events, conferences, and is sort of a network of influencers. They're basically parents who blog. And I started working for them, doing odd jobs. It was not I was not their lawyer when I started because I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about the influencer marketing industry because I saw something there. I just wasn't sure what it was. It was sort of forming. And in working there, people started to f- know me and I started to meet all of these influencers and they started asking me legal questions. And I started looking around and saying, huh, nobody does this. Nobody understands what it's like to both be an influencer, to work in this digital space and the legal issues that face influencers. And so I started answering those legal questions and started realizing there's something here. And so I watched and I waited and I really learned the business before I decided I was going to go and practice law and work with these um, online entrepreneurs. I met my business partner who had a similar feeling and idea. She comes from a similar background as me and it just sort of clicked. Uh, And so that's how we ended up here. And it was, I feel very grateful because I love this space. You know, since since we talk a lot about networking on this podcast, one thing I want to observe about what you just said is that a lot of times lawyers and uh, people in sort of professions like that service professions, they're always trying to figure out like where to network. And while you do want to network with your peers, the people who are also, let's say, lawyers, uh, that's important. It's also really helpful when you're the only lawyer in the room (laughs) of other people doing work. And so in your case, you found yourself being the lawyer. So if they had a question or needed a referral, they were going to come to you, Jamie, because you were the lawyer that they knew. So that helps sort of uh, differentiate yourself right there. I also appreciate that you took the time to understand the need before you launch the business, because I think people jump in so quickly. They waste a lot of time trying to figure out what people need before, like, by the time you launched, people were like waiting for it. They were excited for it, right? Like, yes, (laughs) Jamie is going to create this opportunity for us, solve all of our problems. So uh, how long ago was that that you created this? Let's see. It was over two years ago. 
that we really started doing, maybe even a little bit longer that we really started doing it. It's been in various iterations. I was doing it on my own for a little bit. Um, and then I, but I met my business partner about two and a half years ago. And that's when we really went full force um, into really trying to start this business and run this business. Well, what do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing right now? Empowering small business owners. There is nothing that feels better to me than when I talk to somebody on the phone or meet someone in person who says, legal just feels so scary and overwhelming. And I can turn to them and say, it doesn't have to be. And I become a partner with them because a lawyer should really be someone that you trust and should really be someone who partners with you to make your business better. And so when I can make a client more money, when I can help a client protect his or her business, all of those things are, that's what gets me going. That's what I love about this job. I'm curious about something because one of the things the, the law profession is sort of known for is charging by the minute. <laughs> maybe it's the quarter hour, maybe it's the quarter hour, but it feels like it's by the minute. And everything I've learned about how to sort of design packages and offer products and offer services is that it's better to sort of charge by the project than by the hour. Is that something that you've managed to kind of shift in the way you're approaching hashtag legal? It's a blend and it really varies client by client. Everything is extremely specific to each client's uh, situation. The one thing that we do do is they get an hours estimate from me up front if it is an hourly project. And I do not go over that hours estimate unless I get permission. So we have a conversation. Uh, we talk about what the the parameters of the project are. And then I come back and say, I think this will take me three hours. If I start getting into the weeds of it and I think it's going to take an extra hour, I will then go back to that client and say, listen, I want to do X, Y, and Z. It's going to take an extra hour. Is that okay? And they almost always say, of course. And I almost, I so rarely do that. Um, I really try very hard because I know that budgets are a really big deal for small businesses. So I'm extremely cognizant of that. So they know everything up front. So there's never any surprises. Yeah. Cause I, I can imagine that would be one of the reasons a small business owner would be nervous about calling a more traditional lawyer is the clock's ticking and you're not even sure what your question is. I mean, that's our, like <laughs> you're still trying to figure out what words to use in the question. And then you're educating the lawyer about your field and that all takes time. And meanwhile, the clock's ticking and you're paying for that time. So you come with the experience and then you're able to help these folks. So, okay. So that's all the stuff that's wonderful about it. What's challenging? What's challenging about taking on a new niche like this working in such a different way within a traditional industry? So it's funny that you say that. Time <laughs> is really my biggest challenge. Um, I also, like I said earlier, I have, I have, a, I have two children, actually. They're younger. Um, I work at home and um, they are they have childcare, so that's not an issue, but just finding all the time to be able to juggle all those things between being a mom and being a lawyer. And I travel fairly extensively because I speak at a number of conferences, um, which is one of the things I love most is being able to get in front of a group and to talk to them and to educate people about how the law can be more accessible. And so balancing all that time is frankly my biggest challenge. So do you have a team that's helping you? Like, are you um, building that up? And it's been a couple of years now. I know it still kind of feels both new, but in some ways you almost have to build the team like right before you need it in order to like not miss a beat. 
yes, we have an unbelievable support system. That is what enables me to find all the time and to be able to juggle everything. And knowing, like I said, what we talked about sort of when we started this conversation, knowing what my strengths are and having somebody else who's there to be able to do those things for me. So what are the things that you feel most comfortable kind of delegating? What are the things that you're like, that's not mine. I know it. I want someone else who loves it to focus. Um, the back end of my website, <laughs> graphic design, accounting. I have all amazing professionals who, who take care of that for me. And I am incredibly grateful that I found such fantastic partners who are able to sort of take that over for me. I used to think, oh, I can just do that flyer. I can come up with that. That's the worst idea. I will spend four hours putting something together that my unbelievable graphic designer can do in about five minutes. It's yeah. just, it's silly. Yeah, it is amazing when you start to really build a team like that. So there's this sort of common struggle when you're striving for success, this idea of worrying about being wrong or failing. What is something that you're particularly not good at? And and how are you backfilling that? Organization. That is my that is my kryptonite. And I'm incredibly grateful because my business partner is without question the most organized woman on the planet. She, her label maker is her favorite thing. She is just all about the Trello boards. She's phenomenal. She is, that is such a talent that I just don't have. And so she really, when we have a large project, we'll talk about it. She comes up with unbelievable ideas as well, but she is just so well organized that she makes sure that we just fully stay on track and that is why we make such great partners. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of folks who are starting businesses. And, and one of the things I, I give as advice is to not go alone into that venture, even though you're passionate about this project. Like, it sounds like for you, once you found the right partner, the right business partner, it, it all just moves so much more quickly. And like you said, you're complementing each other skills wise, and also just like, you know, thinking outside the box in ways you never would have before. Is there other advice that you would share with people who are thinking about starting their own venture? Be prepared to fail um, is probably the biggest piece of advice that I give to people um, and don't wallow in it, but learn from it. So I've certainly launched products or approached clients or gone to conferences that were just not a good fit. And so instead of beating myself up about it and saying, oh, I can't believe I did that, or it's really looking at those failures objectively, knowing that you can't be perfect, taking something from those failures and moving forward. Um, because you can really get lost in the muck when you're running your own business uh, without being able to step back and say, what did I do great there? What did I do not so great? And how can I you know, continue that in the future? Yeah. And having another person who's there in the room with you, helping you think that through is probably get you out of your own head. Yes. You know, you mentioned this earlier, but I'm really curious about this idea of, um, I don't know whether it's work-life balance because that feels a little bit, a little bit off. I think it's like work-life integration. Yes. Because I am also a work-at-home parent and um, I have a toddler. I know your children are a little bit older than that, but still, they take a lot of time. So, you know, how do you? How, what are you doing to think about that? Like, what self-care look like in the world of, you know, uh, entrepreneur, you know, at-home parent, all of those things. This is a question I'm actually very passionate about. I work out every single day. It is something I do for myself. I take one hour to myself and I go exercise. And I don't exercise in the house. I go to a gym 
for a class that I have signed up for that I will get charged $20 if I don't show up to. Um, and I don't want to get charged $20 if I don't show up. That is my self-care and I take it very seriously. Um, and I need that for myself. I need that one hour for myself because I feel like the other 23 are dedicated to everybody else. Yeah. Is there something in particular you've been struggling to integrate some sort of habit other than going to the gym? Do you really mean every day when you say every day? I do. Wow. I'm one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great when you can find that. So is there something else that you're you're trying to work in given the other 23 hours are still all there? I mean, there's loads of things I, <laughs> I would love to do. I live in a city and so I miss going shopping or going somewhere. Everything I do, all my shopping is online. This is all personal care. I assume that we're talking about everything I do is online. So I don't have that experience of like grabbing a girlfriend like I did, you know, pre kid and pre owning your own business and going and having lunch and shopping for a few hours. I, I would love to be able to integrate that more. And I just, I can't find the time to do that. You know, it is interesting what now counts as downtime for me. My wife was just saying the same thing, like, Listening to 15 minutes of news <laughs> on MSNBC is like downtime. If it's, if it's uninterrupted, I feel like, yeah, I'm yeah. just sitting here listening to this, this show. So, yeah, get, get it where you can. Um, so we're shifting gears a little bit um, around like this piece about networking. You've been building up a professional network now for many years it sounds like it's really expanded quite a bit in the last five years. You're speaking a lot of different places. I know it's something you really love to do. How have you been sort of nurturing that network? It's not just not just building it, but sustaining it. For me, um, a lot of my network and the people that I connect with most, we connect online because the majority of my clients and the people who I work with or they exist online. That's sort of where their, their businesses are. And so it is staying active in those groups uh, where I know that a lot of the people that are in my network are and just being a part of the conversation, not just chiming in when somebody asks for a lawyer, but when someone says, Hey, do you have a great app for X or do you, whatever the case may be. Um, Cause I, I am not just a lawyer. I'm also a business owner or like the other day, somebody just posted, anybody know of a good accountant that specializes in online businesses? And I love my accountant. So I threw her name in there as fast as I possibly could. Things like that, just really being there to help out people, not just for any other reason Then it just makes me feel really good to be able to connect people and to let people um, benefit from maybe some of my failures or some of my successes. Yeah, it sounds like you're always trying to figure out how to add value, not just through your professional services, but just by being in the room by, or being in the space with them. You, you mentioned that you go speaking, um, I'm assuming this is at conferences, and I have a book that's out called Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. And because you haven't heard of this, I'm going to give you a quick understanding of the croissants and bagels. Um, when you go into a, a networking event or a conference, people stand in the hallway in those tight networking circles really hard to break into, those are the bagels. <laughs> if someone kind of inside that space opens up their body language and makes some uh, room for someone to then join that circle, it's that's the croissant you're looking for. And um, that, yeah, so it's the stickiest concept in the talk that I've been doing for years, Art of the Schmooze. Um, my question is, is there anything you're doing purposefully in preparation for these events, whether you're going to speak or going to attend or both, 
you know, how are you maximizing that time away from home, that time away from your business and knowing that you're going to get the most value out of it? There's two ways I find that conferences are most effective. Um, One is being active in the Facebook group ahead of time. So you sort of get a feeling for, because almost all conferences have a private Facebook group at this point. The conferences I attend, um, which are typically online entrepreneurs, influencers. Um, So being active in that Facebook group. And even if you're not active, if you're not posting all the time, but just reading what everybody's writing about, because you start to see what people are interested in and, and what issues are facing the people who are attending these events. And the second I find is partnering up, finding somebody there who is um, a great connector, somebody who will introduce you to people. My most effective conferences are with when I know I'm going to be meeting somebody there who knows a whole host of people I've never met before. And then the same for that person I'm meeting. And then we just introduce each other. Hey, have you met so-and-so? You guys would have X in common. Um, I find that there are a lot of people in the world who just love to connect people. And so I'm one of those people. I love introducing everybody to everybody. And so if you find other people who are connectors that way, who will introduce you to people you may have never met before, that is a great way to network and meet some amazing new people at a conference. This is such a great tip. Are you explicit with this other connector about the uh, the exchange here? Like, I'll do this for you, you'll do this for me. Like, how do you approach that? Well, usually, to be honest with you, it's it's a friend or somebody that I know. And I'll say, hey, let's, you know, team up, let's go in together. I have a couple that I just sort of always do this with um, a couple of people if we're going to be at the same events, and it's sort of become a bit of an understanding. Uh, but we had the people I do this with, I typically have more of a personal connection with. It's not just like a sterile kind of business relationship. We're sort of invested in each other and we want to help each other out. That's great. I love that tip. I think a lot of people are going to events because they have to or should. And at the end of a long weekend, they're kind of exhausted and they don't know if it was worth it. And they're stressed out about work and all home stuff, but they also don't know if they're going to apply anything they learned, you know, back on their business. Do you have any tips for how to make sure that the takeaways actually get used? (laughs) Accountability groups. Ah. Uh, I find that those are fantastic and more and more people are sort of forming them at these events. And I see them in the Facebook groups afterwards. So for example, I just went to this phenomenal conference. It's all, it was called women in travel. It's just women who are influencers in the travel industry. And there was a woman who started a thread that said, if you're in New York city, we're going to pull together an accountability group. We'd love, you know, to meet up once a month where we just sit somewhere, work with each other, and we just talk about what it is that we're doing. And I jumped on that because I'm so close to New York City. I'm like, I'm all over that. I'm all about the accountability groups. I think they're fantastic. Your interests don't even have to be the same, but you just have to be able to put what your goals are out there. And then once you put them out in the universe and you say them out loud, you're far more accountable for them than if you've just written them on a piece of paper and you haven't actually told anybody because it's easy to ignore that paper, but it's not easy to ignore those six faces that are looking at you saying, you said you were going to get this done. Um, And those I find are really effective. But it also seems like such a powerful way to deepen a relationship with people that had a shared experience of being at that event. So even if you didn't meet at the event, just by seeing that note on Facebook, and saying and jumping in, saying yes to the opportunity. Well, now you're meeting with these five other women on a monthly basis, which is a great way to like have that ongoing connection. And of course, their networks are now opening up to you 
in between the two conferences. So, you know, and when you go back to the conference, it'll be an even more, you know, awesome time because you'll know more people. This is great. It sounds like you have such a plan for how you approach life. Um, so I wonder, though, that if you were talking to your 25-year-old self and giving your 25-year-old self advice, what is the one thing that you would encourage yourself to do to build a strong and supportive professional network? I think I would have told my 25-year-old that my 25-year-old self that every person you meet will offer you something. It doesn't necessarily have to be money or a client or it doesn't matter. You will gain something from every person that you meet. Um, and so go into it with an open mind. You just never know who you're talking to. You never know what kind of insight. You don't know what their experiences are. Just talking to people who have run businesses or who have, you know, kids stuff, whatever the case may be, there's always something that you can take from somebody else. And so just go into those conversations with an open mind, be friendly, be honest about your, who you are and how you're feeling, and you can form those connections. You don't have to be on all the time. It's just more about forming that human connection between you and somebody else. And I wish I would have understood that <laughs> at 25, where I was always thinking, like, what is this person going to get for me? That's not the way I think networking or any kind of relationship building should be formed. It should be really like, what can I give to you and what can I learn from you? I think it's also hard at 25 or, you know, when you're in the beginning of your career and you're going into these opportunities, these like conferences, you don't know what you can offer. Like a lot of times people stop themselves from networking because the way they, they feel about it feels, I mean, actually I just posted a podcast last week, uh, or actually when this airs, it was probably months ago, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> but, um, it was in uh, May that I posted it. It was called the dirty business of networking and it's about this Harvard study of how people physically feel dirty when doing that sort of transactional networking. But that's because they're, they're not thinking about it in that genuine relationship building sense. And particularly if they're newer in their career, they're thinking, well, what could I offer anyway? I, I just feel like I'm needing things, I'm taking things, and it doesn't feel very good. But do you think your 25-year-old self would have heard your advice and like, found a way to, you know, put it into practice? Or do you think you, you were just on the cusp of like, kind of getting into law school and taking ownership of your life? And yeah, do you think you needed a few more years to kind of work that out? I think maybe 28 year old self would have heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturn's return. <laughs> but I will say for the people who may be listening who are in their 20s and just starting out, I learn an incredible amount from people who are much younger than me, because there are trends that I don't catch. Um, that they do and they tell me about. So there's, I think that there's value from every age and you can learn from, I learn from everybody. So I, I think that if someone does feel that way, you shouldn't, um, cause there's so much to be learned. Everybody has a life experience. Everybody's walked a different route and there's, there's just so much to be learned from everybody that I don't think there should be, if you approach it from that, I just want to get to know somebody, meet somebody, then I think that that you can learn something from everybody. I actually recently talked to an influencer who was talking about creating, we're saying like the, the idea of building your personal board of directors. Um, and this is a really great concept. And he said, actually, I think one of the people I'm going to invite onto my personal board of directors is my intern because the intern knew a lot about social media and particularly like how to use it in the mar for marketing. And it was very new to this influencer. He like knew it was necessary, but he didn't really know how to, how to optimize it. 
And so he's like, oh, yeah, like I'm teaching this intern all these other things about business, but this is something that I can ask him to teach me. And so, yeah, don't discount your skills or your, you know, uh, offerings of what you, you have to give to the world, um, no matter what age you are. So if we were to be checking in again a year from now, which I hope we will be, and you're sharing just what an amazing year it's been, what are the accomplishments that we will be celebrating together? I have a big goal for myself that I am going to start my own podcast. So I just said it out loud. So now I've made myself accountable. <laughs> um, and I also, um, I want to do more keynote style talks. So that's another thing that I is a personal goal of mine. Um, professionally would be to be able to just continue to connect with um, the type of clients that I resonate most with and that connect most with me and that I can continue to help make legal feel very easy for people instead of that just I don't want people to have a pit in their stomach. So if a year from now I have more clients that are saying, I don't feel nauseous when I have to talk to my lawyer, then I feel a lot better about it. That's a good goal. <laughs> so how can people find you and follow your work? Um, so you can check out our website at hashtag dash legal.com. Um, you can email me at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at hashtag dash legal.com. And those are two of the best ways. We're also on Facebook. You can find us there too. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. Great talking to you. Thank you. It was great chatting with you too. I hope you enjoy the interview with Jamie Lieberman. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things stood out for me was how early on Jamie was encouraged and even pushed into taking on leadership roles. It wasn't something she saw in herself until she was in law school. Do people you trust have high expectations for you and keep pushing you to take on roles that are outside your comfort zone? Maybe it's time to listen to them and see in yourself what they see in you. Look around at the opportunities to step up and identify a role that aligns with your personal or professional goal. Announce your intentions to a few people you trust so they can hold you accountable as you make an effort to widen your comfort zone. You can do this. I also appreciated how the skills that Jamie took for granted as a lawyer turned out to be something she could offer small business owners who were overwhelmed by legal mumbo jumbo. This might be true for you too. Based on your experience or talent, there may be skills you could do blindfolded that someone else would happily be willing to pay for. Think about it for a moment. What are people always asking you for help on? Is it something technical like website design or resume writing? Or maybe you're naturally a great coach and people are always asking you for career advice or help refining their big idea. That thing that everyone asks you about and you do with confidence and little preparation, that may be a skill that you can turn into a service that people would be willing to pay for. The next step is to figure out who your ideal clients will be, and that relates to the title of today's episode. Jamie figured out that she could serve online entrepreneurs and brand influencers. The riches are in the niches relates to the idea that you won't be able to please everyone, but if you niche down, you'll be able to offer great value to a specific group of people. So first, figure out what you can offer, and then figure out who you'd want to offer it to. And I want to underscore what Jamie said about her conference strategy, that she joins the conference Facebook group and makes an effort to actively post in the weeks leading up to the event. At a minimum, pay attention to what is being posted before, 
during, and after the event, and who is most active. By engaging in the group before the event, you're becoming known to other attendees and will have an easier time making connections in person. By paying attention during the event, you may learn about opportunities to meet up in person around a specific topic. And by paying attention after the event, Jamie learned about an opportunity to join a monthly mastermind group that meets in person near her home. Her mastermind group will help her be accountable as she grows her business, and she's deepening her connection to these women by meeting in person each month. Each of them is opening up their network to the others in the group, offering personal and professional opinions, and generally cheerleading each other's efforts. I met one of my accountability partners at a conference last year, and when I left for the same conference a few days ago, I had as one of my goals to look for opportunities to join a mastermind group. It's helpful to have a range of goals in mind when networking at a conference. Then you'll know an opportunity when you see it. Is networking an important but your least favorite part of your job? My coaching clients felt the same way. Through a combination of technical tips, accountability, and a bit of inspiration, I help leaders stop wasting time networking and start building great relationships. This fall, I'm launching a beta version of a group coaching program. This is a virtual program, so if it sounds like something you'd like to be part of, we should set up a time to chat and see if it would be a good fit for you. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com. Do you host a conference or a convention and want your attendees to feel that your event was incredibly valuable because of all the connections they made? I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. Do you know someone who might be interested? I would welcome the introduction. And as a busy solopreneur and work-at-home parent with a toddler, I am juggling a lot of responsibilities, and that is why I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial, and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit Contactually.com slash invite slash moves for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash moves, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 51. And I just wanted to remind you that you are encouraged to join my launch team by visiting robbysamuels.com slash launch team. You'll receive an advanced copy of Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking Conferences, and you'll be notified when it'll be available for free on Kindle. All I ask in return is your help spreading the word, and if you feel the book is valuable, that you write a review on Amazon. If you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com, where you'll find On the Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. Before I go, I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, 
work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.